It's about evil and it's about betrayal and it's about political expediency resulting in the cruel, tortured death of someone who is innocent. How is that good? It's like everything is tipped upside down on its head from what is, it's supposed to be. Today should be called Evil Friday. And the answer is, it's, God's, it's the day that God checkmated Satan. And he did it good. And the people have called it good for that reason ever since. It's the day when God won. And the best part is, the father used Satan's plan, his absolutely worst act, as the very tool to win with. Absolutely. Talk about counter-espionage. Who's on whose team? It's an incredible story. Satan had convinced the religious leaders to conspire and force Jesus' execution. And on Good Friday, they did it. Satan was convinced that he'd won. He'd beaten God at his own game. He was crowing and gloating and high-fiving and back-slapping all of his demons till a light came on in hell. You see, what Good Friday tells us is that God is smarter than Satan. Satan's just a created angel. He's no match for omniscience. And from the moment Adam and Eve sinned, God saw history unfold. It's something that Steven Spielberg could, could do as, as the moment Adam and Eve sinned, God would have seen ping, 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 ping as every person who would ever be born upon, upon the planet was um, in his mind's eye. He would see everything play out. He would see every civilization run its course and another civilization come on top of that. He'd see the consequence of every action. And all of that could be held within God's consciousness Easily. And sense could be made in God's mind of everything. And when he saw all of that, God planned a millennial stretching plan that would see humankind redeemed. Isn't that incredible? And he put clues into the story that, that would hint at the plan from time to time to time. And still Satan couldn't join the dots. Because if he'd been able to join the dots, he would never have killed Jesus. But he couldn't. The first clue was God clothing Adam and Eve in skins of an animal that cost the death of that animal. A later clue was God asking Abraham to indulge in human sacrifice and kill his own deeply loved son. And maybe God wanted to test what it would be like for a human being to kill his son, knowing that he as God was going to kill his own son. And he let Abraham get within a hair's whisker of actually committing human sacrifice. And then he said, no, 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 just use the, the ram that's over there. And Abraham let his son Isaac go, and, and the ram was sacrificed. But Satan couldn't see these clues and understand what they were about. And God's plan was announced in neon lights when Jesus was introduced by John the Baptist. And John, um, in the first um, chapter of John, where it says, the he's, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was like everything lit up and focused on Jesus. The Lamb of God, Abraham, sacrificing 
but Satan couldn't, still couldn't get it. You know, for several thousand years, the Jews had regularly sacrificed animals to atone or to pay for the sins that we as human beings were doing. And yet anyone who really thought about it knew that animals weren't a, a, a sufficient payment for the acts that deserved death. If an act deserves death of a human being, how can an animal's death actually be enough? It was like a, I'll pay you a little bit. It was like an IOU. It was an acknowledgement that something needed to actually be paid but it wasn't a sufficient one. It was like paying by visa. Wouldn't it be great if when you pay by visa, the bill never came? Have you had to talk to your kids about the folly of paying by visa that the bill does actually come? And they genuinely believe you just keep paying and pay the minimum amount and paying and pay the minimum amount and you get by. What they don't realize till they get rung by the bank is that it's just stacking up and stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. And that's what humankind were doing for several thousand years, paying by visa, paying by visa, paying a down payment until the Lamb of God stepped onto the planet and grew to be 30 years of age. And John the Baptist saw him and said, here's the Lamb that will take away the sins of the world. And this would be a payment that wouldn't be equivalent to the debt because this payment was made by the darling of heaven's life, far more valuable than the sin of every single human being that ever lived and ever will live combined together would be. And after being announced as the one by John the Baptist, three years later, Satan put him to death and God went, checkmate. You see, we have incredible hope for this life and for eternity because of that moment. But between Friday, today, and Sunday, in a couple of days' time, is what day? You can't get it wrong. But let me say it again, just in case. Between Friday and Sunday is what day? Saturday. And Easter reminds us graphically that the Christian life for Jesus and for us is not a bit of roses. There is a cost. There is sacrifice. There's also dark, confusing times, and Alan spoke about those, when all we can do is hope and trust. And as far as we know, there's only ever been one day in the last 2,000 years when literally not one person believed in that Jesus was alive. And it was Saturday. On Saturday morning after the dark day of the crucifixion, the city that had been screaming for blood was quiet. All the crowds had disbanded. Now this isn't Sunday, and this isn't Friday, it's Saturday, the day after the day before that, and the day before this day. And remember, no one actually knows that Sunday is going to happen. Saturday might be 
every day. There might never come a resurrection day. They didn't know. It's the day when all we can do is hope and trust. And Saturday's the day with no name. Friday is called, and Sunday's called, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. But Saturday's just, and all of us have Saturdays. It's the day the dream dies. You wake up and you're still alive. You have to go on, but you don't know how. Or worse, you might even not know why. And real life serves up groups of three days. And the Bible actually has a theme of groups of three days. I haven't got time. I'll go into it on another day. But we aren't called to rosy living as Christians. That's what Easter reminds us. We have times when bad stuff happens. And we have uh, times when deliverance and miracles and resurrection happens too. And we also have the reality of days in between those two things. The bad stuff's happened. The good stuff and the resurrection hasn't yet happened. And we're here in between. And it's in those times, more than the rosy times, that we will grow and be built and be defined if we have hope and confidence in our God. But the resurrection tells us we can have hope and confidence. Easter tells us we have a God we can have hope in. He's amazing. Jim, I can't say his name right, but the actor who played um, Jesus in the film The Passion said that when, when the things that made The Passion so uh, uh, such a powerful movie for him, he was hit by lightning when he was on the cross. He said it affected how he saw the cross. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He said he had his arm pulled out, the, the shoulder pulled out of the socket while he was there because he was under the cross. Maybe he'd tripped. He didn't say exactly why when I was watching the YouTube clip, but he said a not-so-helpful um, uh, fellow or person on the set tried to get him up, and he pulled his arm and literally dislocated it. And he said they were filming him at that particular moment, and that view of his face is in the movie because he said the passion was real. It hurt. He knew what it was like. <laughs> and the thing that Easter tells us is that Saturdays don't last forever. It plants hope. Easter plants hope in our lives. Sunday is coming. And if you personally are in a waiting time, keep hoping and trusting because God will come through for the things that he's been speaking to you about. That's the kind of God that he is. Alan went through Saturday. He talked to us about several of them and he never stopped believing that Sunday would come. So we're going to share communion now and we're going to celebrate our God who won in the real world and who encourages us that we too can win in the real world of our lives if we are willing to go through the pain and the problems or the difficulties that come from time to time, they won't stop us if we have that hope planted deep within us that just like Jesus resurrected, God's got an answer to every problem for us too. So Don, can you come?
Can I just say, if you've, if you've never accepted Jesus personally in your own life, why don't you do it today? You know, Zoli put it so well. He'd been in church and church schools and everything all his life until the day he realized he'd never actually invited Jesus into his life. The older I get, the more I realize how it's all just very simple. He says, it's, we've got to just be like kids. Children have that great idea that they can just invite Jesus into their heart. And that's often how we, how we do it. We just, we just say, just be like a child and open your life up and say, Jesus, I've done wrong things. I need forgiveness. I need what is symbolized here as your blood to be able to forgive me. And if we'll do it personally, your life will radically transform. We on? Hey. I remember hearing a, an American preacher once, he was talking about the whole Friday and Sunday thing, and he had this way of doing it. He said, it's Friday, but Sundays are coming. <laughs> I always remember that line in what you just said. Matthew chapter 27 and verses 45 to 54 says this. From noon until three in the afternoon... Darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine, vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. So just thinking a little bit about that passage, in Jesus' darkest hour, what happened? Well, firstly, the skies went dark. Not unusual for skies to go dark, is it? In a storm? Maybe in an eclipse. Anyone got an idea how long the longest recorded eclipse takes? How long? Hours? Minutes? Minutes. The longest recorded one, seven, hour, uh, seven minutes and 28 seconds. On the 15th of June, 744 BC. The longest theoretically possible in these times today is 7 minutes and 32 seconds. Don't ask me why. <laughs> but how long were the skies darkened in this, in this story? Three hours. What else happened? The, the curtain tore from top to bottom. Have you ever tried to tear something from, this, from the most reinforced part of it? It's not easy. Or, or maybe, maybe a human went in there and ripped it. 
But the thing is, in that culture, at that time, at that place, no one would ever have dreamed of going into the holy place and ripping a curtain to reveal where God's presence lived. If they did, they knew that death was a certainty. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs opened, and many were raised to life. All of those are quite compatible with earthquake events, except perhaps the raising to life. There was certainly something else going on there, but people saw those who had raised to life. And then also, Jesus gave up his life long before natural death by crucifixion. Normally in a crucifixion, it takes several days to die from the exhaustion and and asphyxiation. The Jewish leaders actually wanted their deaths to be sped up, which is why uh, they had their legs broken, because they didn't want them hanging there alive during the Sabbath. But on coming to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. And no wonder the Roman centurion admitted that he truly was the Son of God. This guy is an expert in crucifixion. He knows how long they take, how long they're supposed to be. And his only explanation for that is, surely he was the Son of God. So even in the darkest of hours, God was still present and in control. His fingerprints are all over it. That tells me there's hope. And the thing is, his fingerprints can be all over you too. You can experience God's touch on your life even in the darkest hours, as we've heard this morning. He's not waiting for you to get through the difficulties before he turns up. He's not standing there saying, come on, snap out of it, and then I'll show you a better way. No. His hand is outstretched ready for you to grab it. Even if your current circumstance is the darkest hour you've ever known, he knows dark hours. He knows pain and suffering and grief and sorrow. So today as we think about Jesus' darkest hour, let's consider our response. Think about the responses of the criminals next to him. One of them said, if you're really so awesome, get us off these crosses. While the other one said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do we give Jesus an ultimatum like, well, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll do X, Y, and Z? Or do we say, Jesus, I'm feeling hurting and hopeless. I'm in a dark place, but I invite you into my life and my situation to redeem it. Jesus doesn't promise to remove us from situations, but he does promise to be in them with us. If I could have the servers come forward, please. So as we remember today, through the elements of communion, the great sacrifice and cost that Jesus paid for us, let's be reminded that hope still exists, even in the darkest of hours. As gloomy as our situation might be, there is always hope, and that hope is Jesus. So Jesus took the bread at the Last Supper, And he broke it. And he said, take this and eat this. This is a symbol of my body. Broken for you. And then he also took the cup as a symbol of his blood, saying, 
This is my blood which has been poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Um, so I invite you to come in a minute to come and receive those elements. It's not just a Baptist table, but a table for all who love and follow Jesus. And it's, if you come and collect and then return to your seat and just take some time when you're ready to, to eat and to drink, present God with your personal concerns, understanding that there is hope in the darkest of hours. And thank God for the hope that he gives. God, thank you for the amazing sacrifice you have done in, in this story of Easter. We thank you that um, although it's Friday, Sunday is coming, we, we can look on this side of history and know that there is hope. Um, and so, Lord, as we take the bread and the, and the juice this morning, I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded of how good you are and of how present you are in difficult and dark circumstances. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward.